thank you for clicking on Girl on the Cliff podcast. Today's episode is entitled Forgiving the Dead. Before my father's passing, he struggled for many years with the sickness of drug addiction. His inner struggles created outside plights for himself and his family. This is a story about mourning my father while he was still living and learning how to forgive him after his death. During my own incarceration, I was accepted into a program at Sumner County Jail. It was entitled Homeward Bound. This program was for women who had about four to six months left to serve. I had just been given a four-year sentence for a nonviolent offense, but I wrote a letter asking to be let into the program. I stated that I was aware that I would not receive any time off of my sentence, but the lessons in the program would help me address some issues that I believe added to me being placed in jail. A lady who had lost her son for his own drug addiction was our counselor, and she walked us through a lot of self-help strategies. One of her own experiences that she spoke about was forgiving her son after his death. I thought about my father, and with the help of the counselor, I was able to write my father a letter The letter had no rules of what was right to say or wrong to say. I was simply to write out how I felt about him, the good, the bad, the ugly, and all the things in between. The scribbled words led me to understand that I needed to forgive him, because although he was no longer with us, the pain that he caused was still very much alive. It was present in how I viewed myself in relation to other relationships, It was why I thought I needed to earn people's companionship, why I felt like I didn't deserve good romantic relationships or friendships, why I felt that people were doing me a favor being around me. And I had to do all that I could just to be worthy of their presence. It was also why my bar was so low when it came to choosing friends and boyfriends, why it was hard for me to walk away from people that did not mean me well and proved it repeatedly. It was also why I looked for comfort or escape or numbness in alcohol myself many years later. My words led me to a deeper understanding of my father and also led me to humility. I was a parent myself currently and here I was still reeling from the effects of my childhood and my son was now out in the world without me. The cycle of abandonment had continued because I had not learned how to cope with these things in a healthier manner. Parents are just people, and in a perfect world, we would hope that as ones entrusted with the lives of others, that we have our stuff together. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes our pain and parenthood collide. We do our best to shield them from the turbulence, but it doesn't always work out. I cried myself to sleep that night and woke up with a lighter heart and lighter shoulders. I had forgiven the dead so that I could live better. This was not a one-time process. It was a pledge to myself to forgive people in general. We may have to forgive people who are no longer here, people who are not sorry, and people who may never deal with us again. The forgiveness is not for them. It's a favor to your best life and to your best self. I then began the excruciating process of forgiving the guy that raped me when I was 15. We had moved to East Nashville 
and I attended Stratford High School after our house burned in a fire. For maybe less than six months, I was there. About five or six girls attempted to jump me. I did all I could not to let either of them cut my face or get me to the ground. During this fight, I felt someone grab my arm. I thought it was one of the girls behind me, so I turned around and swung several times. It happened to be a police officer of the school. I was expelled and sent to Maplewood Alternative School. No one ever asked what happened. I had never been in a school fight, let alone an argument, with anyone at school. And here I was in this honorable mention, most likely to succeed kid, getting kicked out of school. There was only punishment, no counseling, no wondering what was going on, and no help. During this time, I began to work at Kroger's on Gallatin Road. For the purposes of this story, I will call the guy who raped me, Jamal, and my childhood boyfriend will be Marcus. Marcus and Jamal were friends. Jamal was much older than both of us, and he had a car. My mom worked third shift, and Jamal would come to pick me up from work sometimes. He would come up to the apartment and call one of his girlfriends, and they would come over and hang out also. One night, when I wanted to stay out longer to see my boyfriend Marcus, I decided to hang out with this girl that I knew from when I was younger. We went to a movie theater that at the time was located in Rivergate, across the street from Hooters. Her and her friends had alcohol and drugs. I had never drank before, but shortly after arriving, I was very much inebriated. I called Jamal and Marcus to come pick me up. This was in January, around the same time of Marcus's parents' anniversary. From what I was told after, Marcus and Jamal picked me up with two other boys in the car. Marcus and I had some type of sexual encounter in the back seat. Jamal took the other two guys home and then took Marcus to his sister's house, who at the time lived in an apartment complex located in a neighborhood behind the Home Depot in Madison. I threw up when we arrived. I used his sister's bathroom. Jamal was then supposed to take me home, but instead of taking me home, he took me to a church parking lot, and here's where the stories have been on opposing sides for the better part of 15 years. He has always said that what we had was consensual sex. He maintained that I was sound of mind and of wherewithal to be able to tell him no if I did not want to be with him in that way. However, I say and will always say that he raped me. During this time, my father's drug addiction was no longer what some would refer to as functional. He was all over the place. My mother had her hands full with him, me and just simply maintaining I would not tell my mom until a year later when we moved to California. Marcus and Jamal went on to be close friends, even after some guys who grew up with Jamal distanced themselves from him after he went on to tell people that he and I had sex. Upon hearing the events of that night, guys who either knew me personally or knew of me and were aware that I was head over heels in love with Marcus told Jamal themselves that he raped me. But despite this, he and Marcus would still maintain that what happened in that church parking lot with broken liquor bottles in the ditches just outside the gate underneath a broken lamplight in an old musty Buick Regal was consensual. Even though there were plenty of nights when Jamal picked me up from work and took me to an empty apartment with beds, clean sheets, soap, and showers, 
He never made a pass at me, nor did I ever give him any indication that I was attracted to him. It wasn't until I was full of liquor, throwing up, tripping on my high heels, and three sheets to the wind, of course, this would be a perfect night to make a pass. And I told him as much on a phone call. But over the years, he would make lackluster apologies to me, stating we both did things that we regret. I reached out to him looking for some kind of closure or sorrowful response, trying to find an answer to why I was experiencing these deep bouts of depression and manic phases of anxiety. Jamal and Marcus would go on for years in their friendship, perhaps believing that if they could still be friends, then maybe what happened that night wasn't really that bad. In a sense, they absolved each other from the actions. Both of them would apologize to me but that night broke something inside of me and would only intensify the pain that was already there from the things I was dealing with in my own home. So after forgiving my father, I started the process of forgiving both Jamal and Marcus. I never really let myself get upset with Marcus. He left me alone and he was supposed to be my friend. About a year and a half later, after I got home, I got a message on IG that Jamal had died in a one-man car accident on Old Hickory Boulevard in Nashville. I felt bad that he had lost his life, but at that moment, I was thankful. I was thankful because I had already began the process of forgiving him a couple of years before. I was relieved that I didn't have to start from scratch like I did with my father. So I attended Jamal's wake. When I walked in and saw his picture beside his casket, it took my breath away and I had a rush to the bathroom to cover my tears. I had not seen his face since that night. I had purposely avoided him in person and social media. Seeing his huge picture like that after all those years dragged my feet back between the lines of that night and where I was in that moment. In that bathroom stall, I asked God to give me peace and calm and to please allow me to close this chapter once and for all and move on. I needed to forgive him and also forgive the things that was going on in my life that I felt added to me being raped. My father's abandonment and drug addiction, him not being someone that I could call, him not being there, I needed to let it all go. So I walked up to his casket, face full of new tears that streamed down as I walked down the aisle of the funeral home. I stood over him, placed my hand on his. It felt like a cold brick. I closed my eyes and asked God to help me forgive and asked God to forgive me too for all the hurt that I had caused others. I asked him to give me peace. I asked him to give his family and his mother peace. They didn't know the Jamal that I knew in the backseat of that car. I knew someone else. The villain in all of our stories can also be the victor in someone else's. We are all so multidimensional. I said, amen went to my car and drove away, leaving old church parking lots, flickering streetlights, other people's opinions of what happened that night, and other people's opinions of me in the funeral home in Bordeaux, which ironically was in the same neighborhood that I lived in before moving to East Nashville. I felt a freeness in my chest and my shoulders were lighter. That day was like the letter that I wrote my father and I felt as free as a bird across the setting sun. I had forgiven the dead so that I could live. <laughs>